Thank you, Faith. Isn't that great? The word was sufficient. I, I like that. I heard that last year for the first time when Faith sang that. I just, that speaks to my heart. His word is sufficient. It's enough. And uh, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's a great thing. And uh, how many of you know Ethan Bale? How many of you know Ethan Bale? Uh, how many would like to encourage someone from another country? Right? You need to encourage Ethan because Ethan heard about the 5K. And he thought that meant five kitchens, okay? So uh, once he found out it was a running race, he got very discouraged. So try to encourage someone from New Zealand, if you would, please. So, all right, just kidding. Where are you, Ethan? In the back somewhere, I'm sure. There you go. There you are. Yeah, I saw him. He's kind of claimed that row back there. So on a serious note, uh, Dr. Weaver, for years, pastored in uh, Michigan, uh, Adrian, Michigan, and he had a family there, and uh, this family is a good family. In fact, the dad went on and was a coach at Crown College. Uh, the daughter is a pastor's wife uh, to Brother Anderson, his sister's on our staff here. And then the son, his name is Ben Turner, uh, went 22 years ago to start a church in the outskirts of Vancouver, British Columbia. I got to be there the first year he was there. My wife and I were there uh, several times with two groups, and he found out this week he has a brain tumor. And uh, it actually has a whole variety of issues with him. And uh, I texted him last night, he's in the hospital. They're gonna go in through his nose and try to remove the tumor back in his, back in his brain, which is just an amazing thing. Uh, they have one son, Pastor Turner, who is a missionary with the Stences in Uganda. So if you have a prayer list, if you'll pray for Ben Turner, uh, and I'll try to get an address for you to write the family. That might be a blessing to them. Uh, I know I mentioned him in classes. I'm going to let him know today that we mentioned him in chapel. And I think that uh, would be a blessing. The Bible tells us that we're to bear one another's burdens. And even Brother Bert mentioning uh, Mrs. Lindsay, Mrs. Harris, and then I also add Mrs. Farmer, who's the wife of a board member. Uh, these ladies are all battling cancer. Uh, we have an opportunity to be an encouragement to them. By the way, if you write any of those ladies a note, just put the name on it, I'll address it, I'll pay the stamp for you, and that might be a blessing to them. So keep that in mind, if you would, please. If you have your Bibles this morning, take them and turn with me, if you will, to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter number two. We're going to learn three lessons, I believe, this morning, and one result from living these lessons that I believe are emulatable. What are the things we see in the Bible in people's lives that we could copy, that God would have us to learn from, and I believe this man, who's not a well-known Bible character, and sometimes we have these hidden heroes in the Bible, maybe somebody like Gaius, someone like Barnabas, uh, a lady like Anna, a lady like Phoebe. Uh, these are people who don't have huge amounts of Scripture written about them, but what is said about them is really worth paying attention to. And such is the, is, is the life of Epaphroditus. And I hope that as we share some things from his life, you'll sit there and say, you know what? I want to have that in my life. Because when you see the three things that he was and that he did, and then you see the end result, and I'll go to the end, he was blessed for these things. And I think every one of us wants God to bless us. So what was it in his life that we can learn from? Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse number 25, and you follow along with me, please, to the end of the chapter. The Bible says this. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And think about these next three words my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier. Three very different words, right? Sometimes we kind of, hey, brother, we say that because we don't know the guy's name, right? But brother, a close relationship here, right? Then it says, you think about that, 
companion in labor. We're co-laborers together with God. Well, Epaphroditus was a co-laborer together with Paul. What a great thing to say about someone. And then a fellow soldier, onward Christian soldiers marching us to war. He was doing a lot of different things. And we're going to learn about his life. But your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. I could talk about that for a little while, but we must continue through the text. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. By the way, you just heard about some people who have been sick. What will we do about that? Will we bear one of those burdens? For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh to death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. What would God have us to learn? What would God have us to emulate for the life of Epaphroditus? I want you to ask that question even as we pray. See, Lord, what do you want me to take away from this man's life so I could be a little bit closer to being the Christian you saved me to be? Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the honor and the privilege of standing here in this pulpit. I think of many chapels. I think of the chapels we've had this semester, which have been phenomenal. As recently as Dr. Shetler yesterday, I think of Brother Delaney's message, the pastor's message, and uh, what Dr. Ouellette said about intermittent Christianity, and Brother Delaney on Gideon. And Lord, I pray that you'll speak to hearts. We ask for that. And Lord, I do pray that we will not just be hearers of your word, but we will be doers as well. Please help me to do that, Lord. And that I pray that for our co-laborers, our fellow staff members and faculty, and the students here, that we will seek to be doers of your word as well. We ask for your help this morning. We acknowledge the fact that we know the arm of flesh will fail us, but your arm fails not. And we know that every good and perfect gift comes through. So we ask you to work here this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I would be remiss if I didn't say this. Please be in prayer for SLC. Uh, those of you who are new here, you have no idea the work, the expense, the time, the effort that goes into this. And it's our prayer that people will be challenged, encouraged and edified, right? That's some great goals. And uh, you're gonna hear some great preaching. Uh, if you haven't heard Tyler Gillette, you haven't heard Scott Pauley, uh, hearing Pastor preach, Dr. Willette closed you out the conference on Wednesday, Dr. Gibbs is here. It's gonna be great, right? But you know what, you can have a part in it if you pray. I've been trying to pray for two weeks in every class for it. My wife and I prayed for it in morning and evening. I encourage you to have a part in SLC by serving, by being hospitable, by helping people who don't know their way around. I just let my wife know last night that we're having 12 people over for dinner at four o'clock and we're having 17 people over for our church at our house after the service on Monday night. She said, okay. She was excited, all right? I double booked. I forgot I told these people at a Slavic church we'd have them all over for dinner, so praise the Lord. But that's kind of the way the week goes. So that, you know what, just step in and do your part and God will use you. All right, let's get into this here. As I said, Epaphroditus is somewhat of a little-known figure in the Bible. Uh, he's important. He was the pastor at the Church of Philippi. We're not going to talk about that part of it. But I want to share with you some things in his life that I believe we should learn from. Number one, Epaphroditus was a balanced Christian. A balanced Christian. 
One of the things I hope that you will learn while you're in college is to learn about balance in your life. By the way, I want you to be fervent in soul winning, but I also want you to be fervent in study. I want you to be fervent in study, but I also want you to have a life where you minister to other people. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. What a beautiful picture of a balanced life. Wisdom, stature, physically, favor with God, spiritually, favor with man, socially. That's Jesus. He is our prime example. How balanced are you? I'm excited about the activities, the collegiate clash, that'll be great. Hope you go to the Reagan Library. It's, I'll be going there next Thursday with taking people from the Spiritual Leadership Conference. Uh, it's awesome. You get to go through as Air Force One. It takes about two and a half hours just to go through the Austrians part. You might want to talk about timing on that. Uh, it's, it's a guided tour. Pastor went through it and said everybody ought to see it. And I'm looking forward to seeing that part. I've been through the other part probably 25 or 30 times. But going through his Air Force One that seven different presidents used, he and Nancy Reagan are buried there. There's Berlin Wall. Part of it is there, et cetera, et cetera. Do that. Don't miss that while you're here. I lived near Knoxville, Tennessee for seven years, and one of the most famous houses in America, mansions, huge place, called Biltmore Place is there. I drove by that going out preaching multiple I said, I'm gonna go there someday, I'm gonna go there someday. Never went there. So don't miss opportunities. By the way, don't miss opportunities for service either. So he was balanced. Even when he was near death, he remained faithful. By the way, balance. Can I say this about balance? It's a continual adjustment. It's like a guy in a high wire. He's not jerking around all over the place. Some people are like that in their life. All of a sudden, they're all over here, and they're all over there. No, they have a long pole. They make little intermittent adjustments. In the Christian life, we have to make little adjustments as well. Uh, there are times that are busier than other times. We have to adjust to those times. Uh, this coming week will be one of those weeks. I can assure you that. But seek to stay in balance. Ask the Lord to help you to need, see where you need to rebalance things. You've got priorities. The first priority is being a good Christian. You're not going to be balanced if you don't take care of that first. Did you have your Bible time this morning? Did you pray this morning? I'm not asking for a raise of hands. I'm trying to provoke you to good works. It starts with that. By the way, with balance, how are you doing as being a son or daughter? talking to your parents, you're writing them, you're thankful to them, your grandparents, your pastor, that's an area of balance. Obviously, being a roommate, being a friend of people on campus as a student. They say, well, it's just, there's just one thing that I do. Can I say this? God made us to be in balance. Two legs, two arms, two eyes, two ears. Do you remember as a kid playing hopscotch or having a race where you had to put one leg behind you and hold it up and you're hopping on your left foot trying to get the other end? Probably crashing hither and yon, right? You didn't have your normal balance. And that happens sometimes in our life. It's so easy to get out of balance and we have to recalibrate ourselves. We have to work at putting first things first. And if we'll do that, it'll help us. There's a magazine that's had great writers for years. I discovered a writer there, a name of John Krakauer, who wrote one of the most amazing books I've ever read called Into Thin Air about the 1996 Everest Expedition. 
But not long ago, they had an article there about a guy who was a champion rock skipper. Now, I think any of you here, at least most guys, have taken a flat rock and tried to skip it across the surface. This is the guy. His name is Kurt Steiner. You might look at him and say he's probably not good at a lot of other things. <laughs> and you would be exactly correct. But at skipping rocks, he is really, really, really good. I'm going to show you a little video of him skipping a rock. And it's almost incomprehensible. You can show that video here. That's him at the top. There's the rock. On the bottom, you can see other records he broke as that keeps on going, and it keeps on going, and it keeps on going, and it keeps on going. Right there, we're at 55 skips, and it keeps on going, 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 and going, and going. I wouldn't believe it if I didn't see it. And finally, it goes under right here. <laughs> 88 skips. I never want to skip a rock again. <laughs> I am an abject failure. He's the best in the world. Listen now, at that. He's divorced, he's bankrupt, he has no friends. He said, I just can't find happiness. Balance matters. It makes a difference in your life. He said this, I could get marriage the way it should be without damaging myself. Hmm, can I give you a verse on that? in honor preferring one another. Bankrupt, broke. If that's all he has to his life, would we agree that's not much? Most people would say the greatest football coach at the professional level of all time is Bill Belichick. How many have ever heard his name before? I've read two books on his life. One was called The Anatomy of a Coach by David Halberstam, which was great because it was a Pulitzer Prize running author. Then I found one this summer at a thrift store called Bill. It talked about his schedule. It was unbelievable. Of course, his kids hate him because he dumped their mother. And he had a girlfriend who was some beauty queen. But I found out recently that didn't stay together. All he has is football. And of course, I come to this, and then what? And then what? It was Peyton Manning who said after winning his second Super Bowl with the Denver Broncos, he goes, I worked my whole life for this. The confetti had fall, we raised the Super Bowl trophy. And Peyton Manning said, is this all there is? In the Christian life, if you have balance, this is not all there is. There's so much more. So we see that Epaphroditus had a balanced life. I challenge you to seek to have balance. Start working on that right now. You say, well, I'll do that when I get in ministry. No, 
you will be someday, which you're now becoming. So you want to work, number one, with your spiritual walk, your devotional walk, your prayer life, but your studies, your relationship with others, because the ministry is a people business. And I, I've got someone in my class who, uh, actually, I led the man of the Lord. His wife doesn't come, but she fell and broke her hip. My wife and I have already been to the hospital. I need to go see her again. You see, it's a busy time. A lot going on. Balance, something we need to do. Moving on from there. First of all, he was balanced. But secondly, and this is so critical, Epaphroditus was burdened. He was burdened. Now, he was personally burdened physically. The Bible says that he was sick nigh unto death. Wow. I, I can't help but think right now about Ben Turner. And like I said, I just texted him last night. He responded to me. I said, I prayed for you. I'll, I'll solicit the prayers of others for you. He says, thanks so much. I really need it. I can't help but think about the fact if that was someone you know. The Weavers know him better than I do. He was in their church. But I've, been, I've known him for 20 years. I went door knocking with his first year in ministry there. Kevin Samilla, one of our graduates, is assistant pastor. When I heard that, I'm going, wow. Remember, friends, we are to bear one another's burdens. Tyler Harris is in here. Tyler, you in chapel today? Right down here. Um, I love the Harris family. They have three children who graduated from here. Ray Ann, Amanda, and Mark, who works for the Blue Crew as a supervisor. And then Tyler. I care about their mom. Her name is Brenda Harris. She's battling cancer. Are we burdened for people we know? Now, folks, let me say this. You may not know Brenda Harris or Ruth Lindsay or Leslie Farmer, but you know people in your church that you could help bear their burdens. That if they got a letter from you, say, I know you've been going through cancer. I know you just lost a spouse. Maybe you've been through the heartache and the heartbreak of divorce. What will you do about that? I just told my wife about this. I got a text the other day from a young, not young, a man named Don Williams. Don Williams' dad, Ron Williams, founded something called the Havasupai House. Don took it over. He married a lady named Winda. They had 10 children. The state eventually shut them down a few years ago. And Don wrote me. He said, would you please pray for me? My wife, Winda, has dementia, and she no longer recognizes her own children. They're younger than I am. Well, you know what? I knew right away I need to do something about that. I sent him a couple CDs, one of our CDs that's about God's grace here. Another CD about encouraging music. Instead of a book, I actually sent them, I said, can she still go out to eat? I said, I sent him some money to go out for dinner. That's somebody I know. You don't know them, but there's someone you know. Now, I'm going to tell you what happens, how we get out of balance. What happens is all we worry about is us. Right now, I'm going to worry a little bit about Ben Turner and his wife, what they're going through. I'm going to send them some things, some books, some CDs, try to encourage them. Who is it right now that God put on your heart that you're saying, I ought to encourage them? I ought to be a blessing to them. Because that's exactly what Epaphroditus did for the Apostle Paul. And you may say, but I'm busy. I don't have a lot of money. Epaphroditus was a pastor of a church, and he was sick well nigh to death. But he said, I want to go and be a blessing to the Apostle Paul. What a challenge to us. 
I realize that you can't probably write a check to someone for $50 to go out for dinner, but you could write them a note and seek to be a blessing to them. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 31, Jesus had compassion on him. Talking about the blind man. Wow. Pastor quoted this when he was preaching on Solary the other night. The shortest verse of the Bible was Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. 35. By the way, do you know he wasn't weeping for himself? That was for Lazarus. He had a burden for someone else. Jude teaches and said, some have compassion making a difference. Can I ask you today, friend, who will you seek to make a difference for today or tomorrow? If they've come to mind, write it down. Don't let it slip away. Seek to be a difference maker. I was teaching at a college in Indiana many years ago, and someone came to me and said, they knew I liked history, they knew I liked to read. They said, hey, I met somebody. She, she worked at a convalescent home in Crown Point, Indiana. And she said, this guy, he's not saved. He had a toe amputated. He's got gangrene in his leg. But he likes history. I think you might be able to talk to him. I made a note. I said, I'll go see him. You know what, folks? I forgot about it. The girl who I don't remember her name, she came up to me a couple days and she said, did you go see that man? Did you witness him? I said, I'm so sorry, I forgot. And she said to me, I think he's dying. He'll probably die today or tomorrow. I did something I rarely did. I skipped chapel. I got in my car. I drove to that convalescent home. I knew where the room was. I, I walked in there. Oh, I did see him one time, but I didn't witness to him. I kind of said, well, I'll start, start. I gave a book or two. I saw him come back and talk to you some more. So I'd seen him once. So I knew where his room was. I went to his room. The bed was empty. I said, he passed away. I said, no. They said, he's in ICU at whatever the hospital was in Crown Point. I went to that hospital. They let me get in there. He was blown up like a whale with infection. He had all kinds of needles and tubes in him. He was in tubed down the He couldn't even talk. Could you imagine how I felt when I realized I didn't go and talk to him when I could have? I wasn't bearing his burdens. This particular story worked out good. I shared the gospel with him. I said, if you understand, blink your eyes. He didn't blink his eyes. I tried it from another way. Went all the way back, just starting with John 3, 16. And finally I said, you're in bad shape. I said, they don't know if you're going to live. I said, won't you trust Christ right now? His last name was Smith. I said, if you'll trust Christ, just squeeze my hand. He didn't squeeze my hand. I said, don't you want to trust Christ as your Savior? You do that, just blink your eyes. And he blinked his eyes. I went to the sinner's prayer. I said, you can say this in your heart and trust Jesus as your Savior. And I went through the prayer again. And I, I kid you not, I was there probably 30 minutes trying different ways. And finally I said, if you just did that, would you blink your eyes? And he blinked his eyes. I remember taking Susan there to see him. And a few days later, he passed into eternity. I'm afraid sometimes we miss an opportunity because our balance is all, all about us, all about me. What do I want to do today? What are my plans for today? And Jesus himself gave us a great example. He said this, he said, not my will, but thine be done. And Jesus' will for us is that we bear one of those burdens. So Epaphroditus had a burden for other people. 
What's your concern like for other people? I realize, I think I have 240 students this semester and almost all of you gave me prayer requests. I just got through all those this weekend. And I've written you notes, you'll get a note in the, in the mail about it. But you know what I found out? There's a lot of burdens represented here in this room. A lot of burdens. And you could say rightfully so, you're the vice president of college, it's your job to pray for me. And you're right, and I want to do that. I'd already prayed for all the freshmen by name. I don't know all of you yet. We're having you over to our home. But can I say this? I believe it's your responsibility to pray for people that you know. Mariah, you know people at Pleasant Valley. I don't know. That if they got a note from you, it would probably be a huge blessing to them. And on and on and on it goes. Who is that person? Dwight Morrow was the father of Ann Morrow Lindbergh. She was the wife of Charles Lindbergh, the first man to fly solo in a fixed-wing aircraft, somebody had done dirigible across the Atlantic Ocean. She wrote some famous books. She was a pretty famous lady. Her dad was well-to-do. And on one occasion, Mr. Morrow, when Ann Morrow was just a little girl, had Calvin Coolidge in his home, one of Dr. Demersian's favorite presidents. Not mine, but she's a pretty smart lady. They had... Calvin Coolidge in the home, and Mr. Morrow said, he said, I think that man would be a good president. Calvin Coolidge was shy. He slept a lot. He had the great quote, nothing bad happens to me when I'm sleeping. I love that. Which is why students take naps. Okay, so. So they were talking about Calvin Coolidge. People called him Silent Cal and other things. He said, Mr. Morrow said, I think he'd be a good president. And several of us began to talk and disparage him. They said, no one will like him. He doesn't have a lot of color. He doesn't have a lot of personality. And at that time, Ann Morrow, this lady here, who was six years of age, spoke up. And there's some wisdom in this. I want you to listen. She said this. I like him. She said, I think he would be a good president. Her dad said, why do you say that, Ann? She held up her finger, she held up her finger that had a bandage on it. She said, he was the only one at the party who asked me about my finger. Are we asking other people about their needs? When was the last time you asked a roommate, is there something I could pray with you about? One of the students came up to me yesterday and a friend of his had a one-year-old child who was having open heart surgery to prayer, a hole in the heart. I don't know the name of the child. He told me, I said, let's pray for him right now. You know why I did that? I said, let them know that people are praying for that child here. The child came through the surgery well. I heard the report today. Praise the Lord. But what an encouragement to parents know somebody is praying. I have to tell Tyler and Mark, I'm going to touch their mom. Sit her cards. I'll text her. I'm praying for her. And by the way, maybe that's more real to me because both my parents had cancer. And sometimes things are not real to their personal. But folks, as a believer, we're to bear one of those burdens. William Booth was a Methodist. He wasn't a Baptist, but he was a great man. He was the founder of the Salvation Army. I have a picture of him near the end of his life. He reached out to the undesirables. I don't know about you, but it's hard to get excited about the guy who's begging for money in the street corner, who looks absolutely pig-nasty filthy 
and is probably there because of drugs or alcohol. But that person has a soul that will spend eternity somewhere forever. William Booth went down to the slums and the ghettos and reached out to people. <laughs> it said this, he said, I'm gonna reach them with what I call the three S's, soup, soap, and salvation. <laughs> what a great thing. Well, the Salvation Army grew. Today, if I think of Salvation Army, quite honestly, I think of a thrift store. But there was a time when it was a great soul-winning organization. They called him General Booth. He set it up like a military. They had marching bands, and they had street services that impacted thousands of people. We think about a bird, though. Booth gave his life to reach other folks. That picture there was taken in the last year of his life, and they would have an annual gathering that often have 20 or 25,000 people. They couldn't find a building that would hold over 18, but people would be outside. They'd put broadcasting and hear what was going on inside. And Booth's health would not allow him to go to the last major gathering of the Salvation Army. So he decided to send a telegram. They still have Western Union today. I've only got one or two of those in my lifetime. But back in that day and time, that was the way the people communicated. He sent a telegram. He said, please read this to the Great Assembly. And they said, we have a telegram from General Booth. They opened it up. It had just one word in it. That word was others. Others. How much will we care about others? Will it impact our life? And some have compassion, making a difference. Thirdly, first of all, he was balanced. Secondly, he was burdened. But thirdly, he was bold and persevering. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh to death, not regarding his life. There was a great preacher of yesteryear, Dr. Bob Jones Cedar, who said this. He said, the test of a man's character is what it takes to stop him. The test of a man's character is what it takes to stop him. What will stop you from going to school? I was tired. I had a runny nose. Does that sound like something a soldier would say? I read a book about a Medal of Honor winner my last week of vacation. It was so challenging what those men went through. The lack of facilities. 50 men attacked by three to 400 Al-Qaeda soldiers. What they would do to save other men was just remarkable. They were soldiers. It wasn't all about them, it was about the team. About trying to save the life of someone else. Putting themselves at risk. David Livingston was an explorer, but more than that, he was a missionary. When he passed away, he was found on his knees by his bed with a Bible in front of him. Livingston said this. Look at this quote I think I have there on the screen. Nothing earthly will make me give up my work in despair. I encourage myself in the Lord my God 
and go forward. I encourage myself and the Lord my God and go forward. Onward, Christian soldiers. Can I challenge you? Go forward. Go forward. There was a story given by a missionary. I like reading missionary stories and missionary biographies. They challenge you. Brother England's daughter likes to read mystery books. I keep finding new ones to give to her. And Anastasia, she's a reader. The story was told about an elderly woman who was reached for the gospel and she got saved. But not only was she elderly, she was blind and she couldn't read or write. I want you to listen carefully to the story. Now, if I was blind, I couldn't read or write, and I was elderly, I would probably think, probably it's not my responsibility anymore. But she knew that soul winning was every believer's business. And so, where she lived, they spoke French, and she had someone give her a French Bible, mark the page. The page she had marked was John 3.16, and she had someone mark that verse. She marked it so she could find it easily. She couldn't see where she was at. She would just find the mark, open it up, and she could point there. She knew on which side of the page John 3.16 was. The missionary was very curious to see what she would do with this, and he followed her one day, and she made her way to the door. As the boys came out with schools dismissed, she would stop each one she could stop. She said, could you help me for a moment and see this elderly lady? But he would stop, and they would ask if she, she would ask if they knew how to read French, and many of them replied in the affirmative. And she said, could you read this that's marked here? I, I'm blind. I can't read it. They would read to her John 3.16. Then she would say, do you know what that means? And she would tell them about Christ. The missionary said that 24 of the boys she led to Christ became pastors. How many did you tell about the Lord Jesus Christ last week, last month? John said, I have no greater joy than my children walk in truth. He was talking about a spiritual progeny. Not, now, of course, if our own children do well, it's a joy. But God wants us to have fruit and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, Dr. Rasmus said, I've tried and i failed. I have tried and failed many times. Far more people say no than say yes. Why does the way that leads to destruction and many there be that find it? But I read a story recently about someone who tried and failed. It didn't stop her. She lived in Korea. I sent this to Edith Kim and Chu Chapman. That's Cha Sasun. Why is she excited? She passed her written exam for a driver's license. Are you ready for the rest of the story? On the 950th try. I think I may have a picture of the newspaper article. Do I have that? Or is that it? Okay. 950 tries. She paid fees to take this of over $4,200. Hopefully, it won't take quite as long to pass the driving part of her test. <laughs> I had a young lady who failed U.S. history five times. I could tell your name right now. I won't. I wasn't at this college. She didn't give up. You say, is she a history teacher today? Oh, no, I hope not. <laughs> but she did graduate. And she worked at a Christian preschool at least for a number of years. She didn't quit. The test of man's character is what it takes to stop him. 
Let me tell you a story of another lady. Her name was Maria Tyler. And if somebody had a reason why she might quit, it might be Maria Dyer Taylor. She was born in 1837 in the mission field in China. Both of her parents were missionaries there. When she was a little girl, both her mom and her dad died in China. You talk about discouraging, difficult. She was sent back to England to be raised by an uncle. How difficult must that have been? The loss of her parents did not deter her and her parents had traitors. She said, I want to share the gospel. And get this, at the age of 16, she returned to China to try to reach people there. She knew the language. She worked at a girls' school as a young single missionary. Five years later, she married someone you've probably heard of. His name was Hudson Taylor. That worked out pretty well going back. You say, well, it must have been all good from then. Oh, no, not hardly. Well, Taylor was known for his ministry, his life, his sacrifice. Their work was often criticized, even by other Christians. By the way, don't let that bother you. I talked to a staff member yesterday, and a parent was saying things about him that were not true. Very difficult. I, I quoted the verse, Blessed are you when men shall persecute you and revile you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is reward in heaven. You know that Hudson Taylor and Maria Taylor are heroes in heaven today. It's okay. By the way, they lied about Jesus. Well, how well did it work? They had nine children. Five of their children died. And Maria herself died of cholera when she was just 43 years of age. As she was dying of cholera, she said this, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. She's buried in China today. It says this on her tombstone, for her to live was Christ and to die was gain. Oh, that it would be said that for us to live was for Christ. It will be worth it all we see Jesus. Can I ask you, what will it take to stop you? I could tell you stories about Thomas Edison and the multiplicity of failures. All the time that Abraham Lincoln was defeated and lost in race after race after race after race, and finally he was elected president, and now he's memorialized in Mount Rushmore as one of our greatest presidents of all time. School will have difficulties. You may fail a class. You may have heartaches from home. You may struggle financially. But God wants us to go on. So we see about Epaphroditus. He was balanced. We see about him that he was burdened. We see he was bold and persevering. And I come to the conclusion today. We see he was blessed. It says in verse 29 of this chapter, chapter 2 of Philippians, Receive him, therefore, the Lord, with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Paul said, this guy is something. By the way, he's writing to the church where Epaphroditus was a pastor. It sounds a little bit like give honor to whom honor is due. To live a life worthy of honor. He did that. One morning, a man by the name of R.C. Chapman, a devout Christian, was asked how he was feeling. He said, I'm burdened this morning. But he had a happy countenance. It seemed to contradict his words that he was burdened. And the questioner said, are you really burdened, Mr. Chapman? He said, yes, I'm burdened with an overabundance of blessings. 
And friends, we have a lot of blessings too. We have so much to thank the Lord for. In Psalm 68, verse 19, it says, He daily loadeth us with benefits. How true that is. I've read about some of these blessings. Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise, the glory of His grace, when He hath made us accepted of the Beloved. That's a blessing, accepted of the Beloved. In 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5, we have an inheritance that can never be lost. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. We have a deliverance that can never be excelled. He delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver us, 2 Corinthians 1.10. A bounty that cannot be withdrawn. 1 Corinthians 3, 21-23. A joy that need never be diminished. John 15, 11, These things have I spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. A nearness to God that can never be reversed. And now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So we choose to be balanced, burdened, bold, and persevering. I close with one more story. It was probably 10 or 12 years ago, and if you've been here long, you know that every year we have a big offering for building programs. I've been here 27 years. It hit me after about five years. We have these every year. <laughs> they want us to sacrifice every year. And my wife and I would give, and we we're thankful that we've been able to give to each building on this campus, except for the North Building. This building here, there was nothing here but a hole in the ground the Revels Building, the West Wing, the Admin Building, the Walther Center. And we would give at that time of the year and usually make pledges to give every paycheck throughout the year so they would try to pay down the debt. We gave different things. Usually we'd write a check, we'd save up money towards that offering. And one year I had some silver bars. They were 100-ounce bars. The silver's only like $4 an ounce. It's like $23 an ounce now. But it's what I had. I decided to give those that year. One year we gave some stock, and one year I just didn't have anything to give. I said, Lord, we've tried to give, but we just, you know, a little money I have the check count, we need that to pay bills. It was like the Lord said to me, what about your jewelry chest? I've got two jewelry chests on my dresser, and I'll be quite honest with you, I just never get inside one. I have a little one on top that's got cufflinks in it. My daughter, Elisa, who's a missionary in Thailand, gave it to me, and I had a man in my class divided up, so it's got 10 little sections, and I've got sets of cufflinks in there. So my jewelry chest, yeah, I've got a few things in it. I went and opened it up, and I had my high school ring. Well, this is a West Coast ring. I've worn this every day since Pastor gave it to me in 1999, long time ago, 24 years ago. He gave Dr. Getsch and I one one day at chapel. So my high school ring was there. I had my dad's high school ring from the 1940s from Long Beach Poly High School. I had another little gold ring. It was too small for my hands. My mom would give it to me in ninth or 10th grade. It wasn't expensive. Maybe it cost 100 bucks. It was 10 karat gold. Um, it had black onyx in the letter M on it. I was going to give that to my son someday. I had one gold Krugerrand. Uh, Krugerrand is a British coin. It's got a quarter ounce of gold in it. Gold at that time was about $800 an ounce. That coin was worth about 200 bucks. Gold today is about $1,900 an ounce. My grandfather had given me that for my high school graduation. 
I had a roll of silver dollars in there I bought for investors, 20 of them, Morgan Silver Dollars, MS63. That's a, a good grade. I bought those for investment. I laid those things out in the dresser. I decided to get my high school ring. I said, I'm never going to wear it again. It was 14 karat gold, even though my mom had given it to had my name inscribed on it. I remember tagging it and putting it in the offering plate. I said, this is 14 karat gold, not 10 karat. Pure gold is 24 karat. You can't make jewelry out of that. It'd be too soft. So most jewelry is 10 karat. Some better American jewelry is 14. Indian jewelry is 18 karat. It's kind of a mustard color of gold. It's a different color. I put that in the offering plate and forgot about it. Until about three months later, our house got robbed. It took the whole jewelry chest. It's all gone. And I'm going to tell you what I thought. I wish I'd given more. And I believe, ladies and gentlemen, someday we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we're going to say, I wish I'd given him more. I wonder, are we willing to say, I'm going to seek to be balanced, burdened, and bold and persevering?